0: Mm-hmm. everybody tonight, welcome to Bible study. We're glad you're here. Let's start our time in prayer. Father, thanks for uh, this place, this time, this moment to gather. We ask that you would speak and that we would listen. Pray that we'd have ears to hear what you're saying. And I pray that we would be open and ready to receive your word tonight. Thank you for revelation thank you for understanding thank you god that you bring truth into our lives i pray that god we are just open and ready i pray god that uh, we would allow you to work in us and i pray for change of heart i pray for change of mind i pray healing i pray deliverance i pray something new tonight for asking in jesus name amen, amen. If you have a Bible, let's open to 1 Samuel 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6. 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6. If you need a Bible, there's some located on the tables. Feel free to use that and uh, you can always take it with you if you'd like. We obtain Bibles to give away. As you're turning there, also a reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible Study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. you could be just saying hi. Or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. It could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. So 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6, anybody like to read that? And David was greatly destroyed. All the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself, and the Lord is God. All right, thanks. And I appreciate you reading that. Kind of an interesting moment in the life of David. Uh, we normally think of David as fairly popular. Uh, there's a couple moments in his life where he's not, and this happens to be one of them, uh, among his mighty men. And so he had <clears throat> been forced around the land, into the wilderness by Saul, who was pursuing him to kill him, and, uh, and eventually was forced into uh, the land of the enemies of Israel, into the land of the Philistines. And so he had to strike a bargain with the Philistines as far as letting him stay there. And so there was a moment where he was fighting uh, on behalf of and with the Philistines. Now that didn't go over very well with anybody, including him. It didn't go over very well with his men. It didn't go over very well with anybody that was a part of that. And so that had uh, caused issue with him and his men and the families that they were all staying with. So all of that combining with uh, a raid that they had been on, and when they had come back from the raid, if you read back you can read this, but when they came back from the raid, uh, what they found was is that an enemy, the Amalekites, had come while they were gone, and they left the camp unguarded, and they had stolen all of their people. So they stole their wives, their children, and their stuff, and they burned it to the ground. And so after doing something they didn't want to do, fighting a people they should have never been fighting, fighting for a people they should have never been fighting for, not having the heart in it at all, not even wanting to do it, they get back from doing something they didn't want to do and they find their whole camp had been destroyed and their women and children had been carried off by the Reign of the Amalekites. So they were upset. Everybody was upset. Everybody was bitter, angry, and upset. So I want to talk to you about A Secret of Courage. It's not really a secret, but if you call it a secret, it seems more intriguing. But it's a principle of courage that I'll share with you that I think is important for us. Because I really believe God calls us to be brave. I do. I believe God calls us to courage. Uh, We have not been called to shrink back. We have not been called to live in fear. We have not been called and redeemed so that we are not going to rise up to the occasion. But I believe God calls us to rise to whatever occasion that we're going to face and to be a people of courage and to be a people who are brave. And so I want to talk to you about, uh, just a, it's just a principle. It's a, it's a principle of courage that we can hopefully apply to our lives. Now you think about David. Uh, David was having some uh, personal issues here, if you can imagine. He was having some personal issues. What were the personal issues? Well, his personal issues had to do with the fact that He was facing a rebellion among his mighty men. Now, these guys would follow him to the death. I understand that. I mean, when he stood and he said, Oh, I wish I could have some water from the well. I can't remember the name of the place. I mean, they just heard him say that, right? A few of them. And they went and they got him water from this well, even though it was super dangerous, even though they had to fight their way in and out. And they did all of that. Why? So he could just have a drink from that well. That's the kind of loyalty that he had from these guys. I mean, they just would do anything for him. And he had proven himself to them. They had proven himself to him. And yet here they were in this moment of distress, understanding, and I, hopefully I gave you enough background for you to begin to understand why this was a, a, just a serious moment for him, but they were ready to stone him to death. And so he was in a moment of distress in his own life. He would went to fight, come back, and it was desolation, devastation, family, stuff, all gone, all gone. Now, somebody, uh, for a similar situation, you can look at Numbers 14.10. Now this doesn't involve David, but it does involve God's people. Numbers 14 and verse 10. Keep your finger in First Samuel 30. We're going to stay there, but... It's another example here in Numbers 14.10. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the time of meeting to all the Israelites. Yeah, and is another example of the people ready to stone their leadership. That was Moses and and the rest of the leadership. That They they were just ready to stone to death. And so this isn't the first time people had risen up and decided, yeah, we don't like you anymore. And so we're going to get rid of you, and that was it. Uh, If you read through the Old Testament, right now I think I'm in Numbers reading through the Bible. It's that time of year, Numbers time of year. And uh, so there's always the... There's a there's a bunch of different things that I just think about when I'm reading through numbers, but one of them is the rebellion of Korah. If you remember that, Korah had come and he said, "Well, what gives you the exclusive right to be the spokesman of God and for these guys to be the priests?" And and Moses is like, well. Let's see. (laughs) And so, he's like, we'll just all appear before the Lord tomorrow. You bring some incense. He gave him some incense pots. Here, you bring yours. I'll bring mine. We'll put my people over here. You guys can stay over here. And let's just see what happens. And that was about time the ground swallowed all of them up. (laughs) All right? And that answered the question. Yeah. And that was one of those moments that the other people of Israel were like, oop. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, Yay, Moses. <laughs> Yay. Yay. I
0: was always with you, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. Exactly. <clears throat> so you had the situation with Moses and I'm sure uh David would know this. But you had this situation with Moses, it happened already in the past. This was another situation in and you know, around the same time but uh, in Numbers 14, but you see this in First Samuel 30, that here he is, and he's under distress, and he didn't want to necessarily be fighting on the side of the Philistines. He didn't want to be away from his camp and his family, and he didn't want to be doing the things that he was doing either. And he came back, and his people were gone too. And so he was under some personal distress right there too. And, and there was all kinds of trouble brewing around him. And I want you to think about potentially how he could have felt. Potentially. What kind of emotional trouble he could have been in. There's a great word in this, in this verse though, in 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6. It's a three-letter word that begins with B. All right? And I want you to think potentially how he could have felt. I want you to think potentially what could have been going through his head. I want you to think potentially what could have been happening in him. What's that 3 little word in there? But. 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 And, and there's a turning point with that word. There's a real turning point with that word because instead of letting his emotions run away, follow me here, your emotions, you, you do not have to let your emotions run away or run ahead or push you where you don't want to go. You do not have to allow your emotions to rule the day. You don't. You have the power to do something else. And you need to exercise that power. You need to exercise that authority. There needs to be some moment, that but in your life, where things aren't going the right way. Things are sideways. Things aren't happening the way you thought they were going to happen. You you ended up doing something you didn't want to do. Now you're facing other consequences that you didn't expect. You're missing. You got things going wrong. And, and nothing seems to be going right, and you can run away, you can allow your emotions to run away in that moment, or, you can come to a point in your life where you say, but, like David did, but, and, and all those things could be true, but, David encouraged himself, instead of letting his emotions run the day. He Encouraged himself. You can encourage yourself. You can. You can choose to do that. You can come to that moment and and there's a but there. But I'm going to encourage myself. Things aren't good, but I'm going to encourage myself. Things seem like everything's against me, but I'm going to encourage myself today. I want to be angry and bitter, but I'm going to encourage myself today. I want to be mean to the first person I see, but I'm going to encourage myself today. And that's what David did. He encouraged himself. Why? Because nobody else was around to encourage him. Everybody else that was around him wanted to stone him to death. There wasn't anybody else there to do it. He's it. Because anybody that would have been in his family, all right, like one of his people in his family that might have encouraged him, They'd been carried off by the Amalekites. His kids, his wives, everybody carried off by the Amalekites. Who's left? A bunch of angry guys whose families had been carried off too and whose stuff had been taken and everything else was burned to the ground. And they were ready to stone him to death. So there was nobody else. There was David and there was his God. Period. Those two. And if you think about the book of Job and why the book of Job is in the Bible, there's some important lessons in the book of Job. None by his friends. None. They're terrible friends. And they have bad doctrine and bad theology. Don't glean your theology from the friends of Job. Ever. They were wrong. They got rebuked at the end and God said they were wrong. You know, and so and so I'm always shocked and I've had this happen a few times in my life where I hear people teaching from the book of Job, but they're teaching based on the words of his friends. Not saying they were wrong, but teaching about how that's what it is. That's not what it is. The friends we're wrong. The friends were the ones that, were, that God had to rebuke at the end and just say, no, you, you, you're terrible friends and you have bad doctrine. You have bad theology. Because they did. You don't teach anything out of Job. Use the words of God. Use the words of Job. But don't teach what the friends were saying. Because they're idiots. They, they may have been well-meaning. I have no idea, but they're idiots. So stop it. And so Job tells us something. Because who was on Job's side in that whole thing? Who was telling Job the truth in that whole thing? Anybody? Nobody except for Job. Okay? God appears at the end. But you go through most of the book of Job, and what you see is a man standing alone in the truth of what he knew and encouraging himself best he could. That's what you see. And the book of Job is important because it speaks to us of a personal faith. It speaks to us of a faith in our God that if we had everything taken away from us, if we had nothing left, like David, if we had nothing left that we could even draw on, that we could at least encourage ourselves and our God. Because that's what we have. And Job is one of those primitive books. You know, if you, if you do a chronological reading of the Bible, it usually Job usually appears somewhere with the patriarchs somewhere. The early patriarchs. He's right in there. Like right before Abraham, or right around the time of Abraham. That's Job. That's a primitive faith. That's a primitive theology. That's a primitive understanding of God. Good. That's what I want. That's what I want. I want a primitive understanding. I want a primitive theology. I want a primitive worship. I want a primitive trust. And I think you see that being demonstrated by David here. A primitive trust and a primitive faith in the God that he's serving. Because he's got no one else. Just him and his God. He's got nothing else. No other resources. No other people. And the only people that are around are the ones who want to kill him. And so even in that circumstance, he was able to encourage himself. Now think about, like those were his friends, right? Didn't we, you know, I was telling you, the mighty men, they loved him. I mean, I don't know how you get any closer friends than what he had in those mighty men. Because, I mean, they were there for him and they would do anything for him. They had risked their lives for him time and time and time again. They had saved his life. And he had saved their lives. And there was a bond and there was something that was going on between all of them. And even in the midst of, of, of a battle, in the midst of the war that they were in, in the midst of you know, their running away and fighting and all the rest of the things that were going on, the hiding in the caves and the sharing of life together and their families living communally together and all the rest of those things, they were ready to stone him to death. He's got some friend issues. They were discontent at that moment. And they were really, really angry. They were fretting in their losses. And, and that, that emotion, that, the emotions they were feeling, I want you to look at the contrast with them and David. And I want you to see a group of guys that were letting their emotions run the day. Weren't they? Their emotions were running the day. Their emotions were dictating the day. Because they were ready to kill a man that they had saved his life many times. They were ready to kill a man that they loved. They were ready to kill a man that, that they had given anything for. He, he over and price. over. Hmm? He paid the same price that they did. Right. He had, they, and they were all in the same boat. But they blamed him as the leader for not leaving anybody behind to protect the camp. And so they were angry and they were bitter and they were upset. And so you know David, I mean the idea is is that they, they were they had this bitterness, and they were exasperated, and they were in misery, and they they were Because David didn't provide or he neglected against the Amalekite right. it was his negligence that caused this. that's why they 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 reacted the way there was some kind of of pent up anger that probably had started before they went out to fight on behalf of the Philistines. And had been seething while they were fighting on behalf of their enemy, the Philistines. And probably seething when they had to fight people they should have never been fighting. And probably seething that they were even involved in those kind of things. And here they were coming back to see this devastation. And all their people missing. Yeah. That was pent up and then exasperated that anger. So, what you have is a contrast here that you have his men who had a normal reaction. What do I mean by normal? Typical. Typical, right? How most people react, things. And you had David who had an abnormal reaction, or a supernatural reaction, supernormal. In other words, there was something else going on in his heart, something else that was going on in his mind, in his spirit, something else going on in David's world that wasn't going on in those other guys' world. He had the butt, right? He could have went that way. He could have. And if you look at the life of David, you see certain times in his life where he allowed emotion to rule the day. And it usually didn't lead to anything good. Usually. I mean, you think about him and, and Bathsheba. I mean, that that was ruling the day, man. That was emotion ruling the day. That didn't lead to anything good. And a guy died because of that. I mean, a mur- guy was murdered because of that. Sent to his death. And usually, when our emotions are allowed to rule the day, can you can you kind of think about this with me for a second? It doesn't really lead to much good usually. it just doesn't that that decisions are made that probably shouldn't have been made and 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 actions are taken that probably shouldn't have been taken and I've had those moments in my life where you know, I, I get that moment and I get the opportunity to change the course of how things are going to go. And I'll either take that but moment or I won't. Alright, that's the truth. And the times I take that but moment and, and in that moment that I make that decision where I'm not going to go the normal way or I'm not going to go the typical way or I'm not going to go the way that most people are going to go. There's something powerful in that moment that is released. And if you want to think about the different emotions that can be, that could be an emotion of anger, that could be an emotion of frustration, that could be an emotion like fear. And you think about every real hero ever, they made the weird decision, right? Where they faced opposition or they faced danger or they faced something that, that they that should have caused one emotion or another and while everybody else ran the other way they were the ones that stood you understand what I'm saying they had a but moment and they decided but I'm gonna stand and that's what they do that's what heroes do that's what brave people do that's what people of courage will do they will take a stand When all of the flow and all of the current around them is going in a whole different direction, they take a stand against that current, whatever it is. If it's fear, they stand against that fear. And they're the ones that are still left there as everybody runs the other way. If it's anger, they stand in the midst of that anger. And they're the ones that aren't going to be taken away in that. While everybody else is taken away in that anger, they're going to stand. whatever the emotion would be, whatever it is. And I want you to, to, to kind of get that in your own heart and your mind and let that sink in. That, that that's supernatural. That's not normal. That's not typical. That's not something that everybody else can do. I don't, even, I don't want to say that. It's not something that everybody else chooses to do. That's what I'll say. It's just not. You see, David understood something about his God. His God. And it is personal. And And, you know, a lot of guys, they don't make a big deal out of this, but it is a big deal. It is a big deal. This verse says that, literally, that, that it's, it's his God, David's God. And the reason I think it says that is because there's something personal about this. That God to David wasn't this far off being that was just watching him live his life. God to David wasn't some, some, some being that was just set the world in motion and was, was watching it spin. That's not the God that David served. But David served a God that he had a relationship with. David served a God that he knew and that knew him. David served a God that he had interaction with, that he shared life with. And it was something personal. That relationship was something personal that he was experiencing on a daily basis. And so when everybody else went nuts, and everybody else got angry. And everybody else went off the deep end and in, in furious, uh, ready to stone him to death in fury. You, know, you have David. There's a butt in his life, and he checked it. He checked it. He says, but he encouraged himself instead. That's what he did. He encouraged himself instead. And he did something that, and he knew something about God, and he did something that David did a number of times in his life. It seemed to be a pattern in his life, and we can learn from this. Here's what he did. He checked it. He checked his emotion, and he said, I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord. And what he did was he threw himself on God's mercy. That's what he did. He threw himself on God's mercy. And you see him do that a number of times. You see him do that throughout his life. And I, want to, I just want to point out, and you know this about David, but I want to say this again. He was a man after God's own heart. And he wasn't a perfect man, but he had enough sense to throw himself on God's mercy. He did. And people that want to point out David's faults, people that want to talk about David's sin, people that want to talk about problems with David and this and that, whatever, they miss the point. And if that's your view of David, you have missed the point. He was a man after God's own heart. God loved him. God still loves him. And he had... An understanding of that and so when it came right down to it and he was the only guy there, he had nothing left, he had only God that was his, that's all he had left he had enough sense to throw himself at God's mercy and so he had a trust in God yeah, you think about how do children trust? How do they trust? That they're gonna get fed or clothed or Yeah. Yeah, it's implicit, right? It's implicit. How children trust. I mean, the the parent as a parent you don't have to say to your kids, Oh, uh, I'll cook you dinner tonight. What does the child expect? You know, they're going to get dinner, right? They don't care how it gets there. They, they're going to get dinner. Or that they're going to have a roof over their head. Or that they have clothes to wear. Or they're going to have electricity. Or that they're going to have a refrigerator. Or that they're going to have food in the refrigerator. Or whatever it is. They're, they're going to have a car or some way to get around. Or the transportation somehow is going to be provided. Or whatever. There's a trust that children have. And that's important because it's that childlike trust that you see in David. And that's why it's important to really look at him as a man after God's own heart, because that's what it is. That's who he was. And you really miss the point about David if you can't get a hold of that fact about him. I mean, he had sense about him. He was a great uh, uh, tactician when it came to war and battle. He knew how to command armies. He knew how to command divisions and battalions and all the rest of that. He knew how to take men into battle and win battles and win wars. He knew how to do all of those things. He knew how to rule over people. He ruled over a nation when it was one of his largest states ever in history. He was the ruler. He knew how to negotiate treaties. He knew how to negotiate contracts. He knew how to, to, to buy and to sell and to trade. He understood all those things. He knew how to run a a huge household. He understood what it was that went on in the, the tabernacle. He got it. The sacrifices that were made. He knew how to worship. He knew how to write songs. He knew how to play an instrument. I mean, he was not a simple person in that sense. He was a simple person in this sense. That he trusted God like a child trusts their parent. Simple. And it made him a man after God's own heart. And so he encouraged himself in his God. That's what he did. And because he encouraged himself, some good things happened. Some good things happened as a result of his encouraging himself. Now, he goes in simple trust. What did I just say? Like a child? Simple trust. And he encouraged himself in that. And so we see him going out in simple trust from this moment, this crisis, this moment where everybody was furious except for him. This moment where everybody was going off the handle in rage except for him. And he takes that and he encourages himself in that moment. He a big butt in that moment. And instead of fighting among his brethren, instead of picking a fight with the biggest guy he could find, instead of doing anything like that, he goes out and he obtains a brilliant success and brings back his family and the family of all those people. He goes out and takes care of business. But that's what being clear-headed does for you. That's what living in a simple faith will do for you. That's what living in a childlike trust, an implicit trust, will do for you, as you can encourage yourself in your God. It's not complicated. If your whole view of God is really complicated, you're going to have trouble trusting in Him. Because in your mind you're going to think, well, what if this or that? Or what about this or that? Or what if this was, oh, I wonder, I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I don't think David had that problem. You know what was in it, As far as I can tell, what was in his mind is, God loves me. God wants the best for me, and I trust him for that. That's it. That's it. I got nothing left. I got God. All right. Let's go from there. And that's what he did. He got up and he went from there. You know, sometimes when things get torn down around you, sometimes when things get blown up around you, sometimes when things get get I don't know burned down in your life, man. You just give up, I guess. You can get mad about it, you can blame everybody else, you can get discouraged, you can get bitter. But you know where that leads? Nowhere good. You know, mostly that just leads to crazy town, all right? And nowhere good. That's not a technical term, crazy town. It's more of a, I'm just trying to say, you know what I'm talking about. Whether that takes a form of depression or it takes a form of whatever it takes form of, all right? Crazy town, you know what I'm talking about. That kind of bitterness? Yeah. It destroys your life. And it's a real problem if you, if you just let that run away in your life. It's like, oh, well, I had all this stuff, and look what happened. Well, you got to pick yourself up, all right? You need to encourage yourself. Nobody's encouraging me. Yeah, right. And some of you, and I don't want to go too far down this hole, but I'm going to say this. Some of us, and that's not some of you, some of us, when, when, when we get so depressed, and I'm talking really depressed, Is it possible, and I'm serious, is it possible to ever really see anybody giving a crap about you? Or is it always you're looking for somebody not giving a crap about you? Is it always everybody's against you? Is it always, oh, well, that was discouraging, even if they're trying to help you? Because you can't see it. All right, that's crazy town. That's what it is. And so, instead of whining about all of that, and I mean whining about it, we have a choice to make. There's the but. And if nobody's around to encourage us, if nobody's there to, to, you know, cheer us on, we don't have any cheerleaders waiting in the wings, go, 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 go. You need to encourage yourself in your God. And now here's a rub, all right? Here's the rub. You need to check your relationship with your God today. Check it. Because that could make the difference in your next reaction. If you really got a relationship with your God, if you really got a trust in your God, if you really got a, an implicit childlike trust, and who God is, and how much He loves you and cares for you, you might make a different decision the next time, but if you don't, chances are you won't, and that's just the truth all right that's just the truth and i'm not I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm just saying that's how it works. The relationship with God starts first because God doesn't need to prove himself in a crisis. I'm not saying he won't. I'm not saying he won't come through for you. I'm not saying he won't be there for you. I won't say, I'm i not saying he won't be a comfort to you. I'm saying he doesn't need to prove himself in a crisis. Because your relationship with him should be established way before that crisis ever comes up. That relationship that you have with him should be established today. That relationship you have with him should be established right now. If it's not established right now, do what you need to do and and allow Him to fill you with that kind of a faith and that kind of a hope and that kind of a trust. That childlike, implicit trust that we need. Because I'll tell you, forgetting God and His purpose and His choices for you, right? Forgetting those things... That that leads to a decline in your life. It does. That leads to a decline in your life. Yeah. And who who got in the Bible? Think of a couple people like that. What about Samson? Yeah, right, Samson. That led to a decline, a direct decline in Samson's life when he forgot God, his purposes, and his choices for his life. It did. I mean, they took him away and they poked his eyes out and they and they put him in chains and, and they just abused that man. And there came a moment in, that, in the midst of all that where he remembered. And he said, you know what? And, you know, he remembered who he was. He remembered his God. And he went out in a blaze of glory. See? He took out more than he took out when he was living. He took out in his death of those Philistines. But what about Saul? I mean Saul had it all. You got Saul, you got he's the king. Head and shoulders above everybody. Handsome, looked good, sounded good, he played the part, but he was more worried about what people thought than what God told him. And so he made decisions and he he forgot God. He forgot his purposes, his choices for his life. And you look at Saul's life, how it declined after that. I mean, demons just started just just plaguing him to the point you'd have David come. This is back when David could still come into the the castle and have him play music just to soothe him a little bit because he's getting tortured by demons. Yeah, decline in life. And I've watched these declines happen in people's lives that just make that decision. I mean, just make that decision like, Yeah, whatever. Are oh, ya? Yeah? Wow. And you can beg people not to do it. Say, please don't do this. Don't do it. And I've known people that have made those kind of decisions in their life where they forget God or they forget his purposes or they forget his choices for their life. And and next thing I know they're sitting in their apartment afraid to leave it because they're totally convinced somebody's waiting outside the door to kill them when nobody's there. Is there any way to live? Anybody? Is there any way to live? Any way I want to live, man. I don't want to be tortured in my sleep when I'm trying to sleep. I don't want to be afraid to go to sleep because of my dreams. I don't want any of that for my life. I don't want to live my life in bitterness. I don't want to live my life decaying from the inside out, because that's what that is. I don't want to live my life thinking everybody's against me. I don't want to live my life thinking every situation is against me. I don't want to live my life just looking for people that hate me, believing everyone does. I don't want any part of Crazy Town. None. I don't want any part of it. And there's more people in the Bible that happened to. I just picked a couple. You know, and you you can say what you want about Judas, but that guy had to make some decisions. He made some pretty bad decisions there at the end, didn't he? He He made some bad decisions even when he was stealing, right? But, I mean, that could have changed. That would be all right. Jesus knew he was stealing and still let him be the treasurer. I mean... The, the mercy of God, the grace of God is so much bigger than we can even think. But you've got to know God to know that. You really do. You've got to know God to know how big His mercy is, His grace is. You've got to know God to know how big His love is. You've got to know God to know how much He's, He's on your side, how much He's really rooting for you, how much He's really doing in your life to help you. But you need to know Him for that. And, and, and to have that simple trust and that simple faith, that childlike faith in our God. That's how we're gonna live. That's how we're gonna make a different decision. That's how we're gonna encourage ourselves when we're not feeling it, when everything has not gone our way. That's how we're gonna encourage ourselves because we're gonna know the God that we serve, that we love, that loves us. And we can encourage ourselves in that when we know that. And I and I encourage you that if you grew up in a church or whatever it is, you've got to leave behind the God of your youth or the God of your family. Or the God of of whatever it was, the religion that you grew up in, and find that personal God. Find that primitive faith in that personal God, your God. And that, stop letting that stuff affect you and stop letting that stuff dictate to you who your God is. Because the God of your family may not be your God. That's okay. The God of the religion you grew up in may not be your God. That's okay. But you need that personal relationship. You need that personal revelation, understanding, that childlike understanding of how much He loves you, cares for you, is looking out for you. You need it. And you need to carry that with you so you can make different decisions. The God of your childhood isn't necessarily your God. The God you knew back then, you know, or whatever... That may not be the real God that you serve now, that you know now. I was told there was a man in the moon back then. I don't believe that now. All right? I was told the moon was made of cheese. I don't believe that now. You leave behind childish things like that. Those notions and those ideas and the things that you were taught when you were little about, oh, well, it's this and that. No. They tried to tell me about Santa when I was little. I don't believe that. They tried to tell me about an Easter bunny. That made no sense. Don't like that. Tooth fairy. I was waiting for the tooth fairy. I wanted to, I wanted to fight the tooth fairy. They're coming in. I don't like that. I don't like any of that. Yeah, no, it should. That's yes, right. So we leave behind some things. Why are you still carrying around some kind of childish, like, and I'm not talking childlike, childish, childish, incomplete, and wrong views of God? Let's have a God of our own, one that is real, my God, big God, infinite God, eternal God, full of power, full of grace full of mercy, full of forgiveness, full of cleansing, a God who cares about me, a God who's looking out for me, a God who has purpose for my life and direction for my life. I'm going to put a little bit of trust into that. I'll put some childlike trust, some implicit trust into Him. Because He cares for me and He's cared for me and He's going to keep caring for me. And if it comes right down to it and it's just me and Him, we've got this. Because he's got this. And I will encourage myself in that. So David encouraged himself. He goes out in that simple, simple trust. And he obtains, like I said, a brilliant success. And it's not too long after this that word gets back to him that Saul was dead and that he was now the king wasn't too long after this. And I want you to see everything turned around after he encouraged himself. I'm not saying that's going to happen to you like that you're going to become king or something. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that is that there's something good on the other side. There's something good on the other side. That as we encourage ourselves as we put ourselves in that position, as we don't let our emotions run away, and instead we stop it and say, but I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord, my God. There's something about moving in simple faith that brings success in our lives. And so I can only encourage you toward that. I think part of this principle of courage is that we understand and we know there's going to be times in our life where we're going to be the only one standing. And that's just going to happen. Where everyone else is going to be doing something else and we're going to stand in that moment. And be ready for that moment when it comes. Now, you can tell me you're ready, but I'm not really going to know, and you're not really going to know if you're ready until it happens, right? Now, I've told you this before. It was like that when people were talking to me about skydiving. I was like, man, I really want to skydive. I, I, I'm going to love this. I really believe that. I really believe I'm going to love it. I'm going to jump out of the plane, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to feel great, and I'm going to love this. And I would say, well, you know, but I knew, implied in that, and everybody else's mind was, yeah, we'll see. And even in my heart, you know, there was that little piece of me. It's like, well, I wonder. I'm going to jump out of a plane. Let's see what happens. And so, and so I went and I did it. And you know what? I really loved it. I could not wait to jump out of the plane. And then the times I went after that and the opportunities I had to hang off a wing strut and just, man, just, wow, out the door. Loved it. But you don't know that until you do it. And it turns out I was right. All right? <laughs> I did love it. Because there's other things that I, I see people doing, I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like, Stacy wants to go hang gliding. I don't want to do that. All right? That looks crazy to me. That was absolutely nuts, all right? Hang gliding, no. Only thing to do with it. So, probably won't do that one. You'd rather plummet without anything. Yeah, I'd rather plummet, (laughs) drop like a rock to the earth. Yeah. Than to depend on a bunch of aluminum tubes to hold together in a wind shear or something. That's don't part of that. Anyway, I digress. What I'm getting at <laughs> is that we need to understand those moments are going to come and there's going to be that time and let's prepare ourselves to encourage ourselves in those moments and stand when everybody else runs, to stand when everybody else rages, to stand when everybody else is afraid and to do what we need to do. To me, that's courage. That's courage. And I believe God calls us to courage. He calls us to bravery. So I want to take a few moments tonight and just give you an opportunity to do a little bit of inventory. And let's start it right where we need to start it, and that's your relationship with God. That's got to be Real. It's got to be personal. He's got to be your God. It's got to be, yeah, big God of love, big God of mercy, big God of grace, big God of forgiveness, big God of cleansing tonight. And leave behind the childish ways. And find your big boy and your big girl understanding of God tonight. And and just start living in it. I want to start you there. And then after that, you know, we, we get to that point. If, you just, if that's all you do tonight, you've jumped a long ways. That's awesome. If that's all you get done tonight, that's great. That's great. So let's just start there. Father, I just pray that we'd evaluate our relationship, our relationships with you, my relationship with you. And I want to know you more. I cry out to know you more. And I cry out, God, for a primitive, simple faith. Yeah. In my God, who loves me, who cares for me, who forgives me, who pours out His grace in my life, who's looking out for me, who has purpose, who cleanses and sets me free. My God who loves me with an everlasting love, who loved me before I ever even knew him, and who still loves me now. I pray we could set that. Set that straight in our hearts and our minds tonight. And find rest and find peace in you. Thank you, Lord. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Jesus. God, I pray that You would teach us to stand. That when everybody else is running, when everybody else is afraid, when everybody else is angry, when everybody else is raging and everybody else is in a fury, everybody else is panicking, that we would encourage ourselves in you and that we would stand. But I encouraged myself and my God and I stood. pray, God, that you teach us to proceed in simple faith in our lives. And I thank you in advance for the brilliant success that that brings. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thanks, Lord. I yes, ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's by saying amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as you gather for the purpose of life in Christ. Yo, no, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. We super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters, you know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the comunidad. Well, see, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm, yeah. As an outgrowth of Chaplaincy of Syracuse University it continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we we homies. Your home, yeah.